It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. What do we have on tap? Well, only way to find that out, you have to tune in. You have to grab your ticket, get on board, put your seatbelt on. Most importantly, enjoy the ride. That's right. It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and your conductor, Anthony Smith. And we are getting ready to get this train on the track. So let's get rolling. Welcome to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and your conductor, Anthony Smith. So glad you can listen to this podcast wherever you are listening to it at. And we're going to go in with my lead story. It's been 105 days. And one American athlete is still detained. Even though the officials have deemed her as wrongly detained, seems like much is not being done. Who are we talking about? We're talking about one Brittany Griner. That's right. This is my lead in story. NBA stars are starting to speak out on Brittany Griner as fans react as well. Brittany Griner remains in custody in Russia following her detainment at the airport earlier this year. In recent weeks, several players from the WNBA and NBA have begun to speak out. Let me just add a pin right there. It's long overdue that the NBA players are speaking out. This week, legendary NBA star Carmelo Anthony called on the U.S. government to do more. He said, today is the 105th day that our friend, sister, teammate, Brittany Griner has been wrongfully detained in Russia. Day 105. It is time to bring her home. Let's bring attention to this matter by sharing BG's story and signing the petition, he tweeted. And here is actually the voice of one Carmelo Anthony. Can't say it no better than that. And his tweet basically said what you heard him verbally say. Today is the 105th day that our friend, sister, teammate, 
Brittany Griner has been wrongfully detained in Russia. Day 105. It is time to bring her home. Let's bring attention to this matter by sharing BG's story and signing the petition. WeRBG.org. Hashtag WeRBG. Fans of Griner appreciate the move by Anthony. Mello is one of the first male athletes to take on Brittany Griner's calls. The effort is intended to press the White House to cut a deal that would bring her home, ESPN's TJ Quinn tweeted. Carmelo Anthony, one of the few still talking about Brittany Griner. This alone speaks volumes, one fan tweeted. Free Brittany Griner, one fan added. Hopefully, Griner will be brought home soon. So why would I take the time to start out with this as my lead story? Plain and simple, it's 105 days. What is our government doing about this situation? Yes, you upgraded her situation to wrongfully detained in hopes that maybe we could get her back home. But seem like nothing is being done. In keeping with the Brittany Griner story, anybody remember the U.S. Marine who was detained in Russia? Well, he makes his opinion on Brittany Griner very clear. Who are we talking about? Former U.S. Marine Trevor Reed is calling for the release of WNBA star Brittany Griner from Russian custody. Reed, a Marine, was detained in Russia for nearly three years. He was released through a prisoner swap in April of this year. Reed recalls the experience of waking up in Russia each morning a nightmare. We need to all speak out for these Americans because every single one of us is an American. I like that. Not black, not white, America. Reed said at a rally organized by Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee via TMZ Sports, every day that you're in prison there is like you're waking up to a nightmare. Adding a bit of fright to the situation, Reed continued by saying, Brittany saying Griner will not receive justice or a fair trial as long as she's in Russian custody. Brittany and Paul Whalen will not receive justice in Russia, he said. They will not receive a fair trial. Adrian Garcia tweeted out fellow WNBA players call on White House to hashtag free Brittany Griner.
very, very powerful message. Bring BG home. Bring Brittany Griner home. Marine vet Trevor Reed describes the conditions he lived in while he was imprisoned in Russia. As a matter of fact, you know what? This first segment of my podcast is real easy for me to do because of the audio that I have is just make my job easier because my voice probably won't resonate, but it will from someone who was over there for three years. Let's take a listen. Just that alone should move the hand of our U.S. government to do any and everything they can to bring Brittany and Paul home. No, I'm not trying to turn this segment into a political talk show. But right is only right. We as American citizens need to push the hand of our U.S. government. You have to think of it in this light. If that's your child over there. If that's your son. If that's your daughter. 
we can't just sweep this under the rug and let it be a three-year process. That's basically what Trevor Reed was saying. He's been in that for three years. He knows what's going on. He's telling us what's going on. Basically, we're being treated like crap in a Russian prison, is what he's saying. And the only thing that stopped me from just saying other words, I do have to have a level of dignity and honor as I present this podcast. The story goes on, says just last weekend, a number of NBA players spread awareness regarding the grinder situation. Boston Celtics, including Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart, player, players wore shirts paying tribute to the WNBA star in an effort to raise awareness about the troubling situation. Through Reed's and the Celtics' efforts, hopefully more people have been made aware of Griner's current situation. What I also want to say right now before I go ahead and take my first break, I will be posting this podcast link in multiple platforms, Facebook, Instagram, also in groups that I'm in, like Podcast Anonymous and other podcast groups, I want to challenge other podcasters to continue to bring awareness to the Brittany Griner situation and the Paul Whelan. Because you heard the words of Trevor Reed. That should be enough to move you. And hopefully if we make enough noise, because I'm just one voice, but if we can make enough noise, Maybe we can get our government to move expeditiously, expediently. It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. I will be back on the other side of this break and I will have some more news for you. So stay tuned. It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. Let's bring Brittany and Paul home. Train Sports Talk Podcast, your host and conductor, Anthony Smith, wanting to let you know that this podcast is listener supported. That's right. Driven by you, the listener. So if you want to advertise or sponsor a segment, simply reach out to me at 316-553-2010 or hit me up at a.com 
thetrainsportstalk at gmail.com to get your ad or sponsorship ran on this podcast. Once again, the Train Sports Talk podcast, your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. I'm Nick. And I'm Adam. And we're cheering from the cheap seats, and you're listening to the A-Train Sports Podcast. Whoop, whoop! Welcome back to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. That's right, it is your host and your conductor of the podcast. Well, let's just say it's building up ahead of steam. And this podcast, let me just go ahead and put it out. This may fall borderline sort of controversial because uh, let's just say a father and a son, very well-known, is receiving some unjust criticism. Bronny James's prom date, which earned him and Father LeBron James unfair criticism, was defended by an NFL legend. NFL legend Shannon Sharp has been a supporter of LeBron James for a long time. In every debate, in every coverage, he takes the stand and always has good things to say about James. On Undisputed, Shannon partners up with co-host Skip Bayless. Skip, on the other hand, is probably one of the fiercest criticizers of LeBron in the world. And just like Shannon has been a fan for years, Skip has been a critic for years. But that just makes their duo even more entertaining. Recently, though, Shannon Sharp was asked about LeBron James's son, Bronny James' personal life. Not so long before Bronny James took over the internet with his high school prom date. And along with Bronny, LeBron also had to face criticism for his son's date. This was absolutely unnecessary and unfair, according to many people, and Shannon Sharp was one of them.
Those were the words of one Shannon Sharp. He went on and said, people would rather you be miserable with someone in your own race than you be in love with someone of a different race. It is so utterly ridiculous. He says he read the comments. He said people need to get a life. Let that man be happy. Shannon said about LeBron and Bronny getting criticism for people criticizing the father-son duo. Shannon Sharp sounds off on criticism of Bronny James's prom date. Shannon was filled with raw emotions. He said that he gets why people are criticizing, but it's not fair. He said that people should not tell a person who they should or should not love. It's all about what brings a person joy. And if that girl was the one who went with Bronny, then nobody should criticize them for it. And I have to admit, they do look like a very cute couple. Shannon also said, our people, man, sometimes I get so sick of them sometimes because it's ridiculous. Let the man be happy. That's your problem. Shannon then emphasized that when he saw the two in the pictures and felt that the two kids were happy because that's all you wish for. However, he hated the negativity. Putting himself in Bronny's shoes, he said, I'm going to be with who makes me happy. Damn what y'all see. Y'all live your life. I'm going to live my life. What does it cost you? You don't have to feed Bronny. Bronny doesn't have to live with you. People get so concerned with everybody else's life that they don't live their life. He went on and said, Shan Shannon felt that this should never have been an issue. There should not have been any criticism at all. In fact, there was no need to make it news either. Bronny is still only 17, and it was just high school prom. The 17-year-old has already shown signs of having a bright future as a basketball player, like father, like son. So, what are your thoughts on the situation? Yes, you will be able to chime in once I post this podcast and put it in my description. I would love your feedback, but I will say this, keep it respect. Keep it very respectful. I would not have that. Not on this platform. There is some more news to get to, and we are going to bring it to you. As you know now, the Celtics are up two games to one. As the Boston Uncommon Celtics trio lights up the Warriors. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart delivered big time performances in game three to give the Celtics a 2-1 series lead over the Warriors. Celtics hang on for a 116-100 win over the Warriors in game three. However, there are some points of emphasis to note. Warriors Steph Curry doesn't expect to miss game four after exiting with a foot injury. Warriors noticed basket was incorrect height before game three versus the Celtics. NBA World reacts to Jalen Brown's dominant first quarter in game three. 
Jason Tatum opens up about not getting drafted by the Lakers. So let's just get into some of these stories. As we said, the Celtics hang on for a 116-100 win over the Warriors in Game 3 to take a 2-1 NBA Finals lead. The Boston Celtics held firm on their home court Wednesday night, defeating the Golden State Warriors 116-100 in Game 3 of the NBA Finals. The Celtics now lead the NBA Finals 2 games to 1, bouncing back from a 107-88 loss in Game 2. The trio of Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Marcus Smart led the way for the Celtics in Game 3. Brown had a team-high 27 points, shooting 56.3%, 9 of 16 from the field, and 50%, 4 of 8 from 3 to lead the Celtics. He also added 9 rebounds and 5 assists on the night. And here is one of the highlights of that game. Yep, that was basically a backdoor play with Jalen Brown finishing at the rim. It was as if the Warriors forgot how to play defense on that sequence. Tatum scored 26 points, shooting 39.1%, 9 of 23 from the field, and 33.3%, 3 of 9 from 3. He led the Celtics with 9 assists while adding 6 rebounds. Smart shot 47.1%, 8 of 17, and 42.9%, 3 of 7 from 3 for 24 points, with 7 rebounds and 5 assists. Steph Curry led the way for the Warriors, finishing with 31 points, 4 rebounds, 2 assists, and 2 steals. Klay Thompson had 25 points with 3 rebounds and 3 assists. Trailing by as many as 18 points, the Warriors were able to cut the Celtics' lead to just 5 in the fourth quarter but could not complete the comeback. Boston will host the Warriors for Game 4 of the NBA Finals Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern. In more news related to this game, Steph Curry did walk off the court with an injury, but the news on that is Warrior Steph Curry doesn't expect to miss Game 4 after exiting with foot injury. <clears throat> The Golden State Warriors lost Game 3 of the NBA Finals 116-100 on Wednesday, but they may have avoided another significant loss in the process. With just over four minutes to go in the fourth quarter, Steph Curry drove, dove on the floor to grab a loose ball. Celtic center Al Horford went for the ball as well and landed hard on Curry's left leg. Curry stayed down for a while in apparent pain. He was removed from the game with two minutes remaining and did not return. Speaking to reporters post-game, Warriors head coach Steve Kerr gave an update on Curry's status moving forward. Kerr also said that his decision to take Curry out of the game had nothing to do with what had happened. I took Curry out with two minutes left because we were down by 14 points, Kerr said. The injury didn't force him out of the game. When asked about the seriousness of Curry's injury, Kerr said, we'll know more tomorrow. And here is that sound bite from 
Steve Kerr. No. You mean when they dove on the floor for the jump ball? I, I kept him in the game. Right, and then you took him out. And, and two I minutes. took him out with two minutes left because we were down by 14 points. So. I, I didn't say that. The injury didn't force him out of the game, but I took him out down 14 with two minutes left because we weren't going to catch up. We'll, we'll know more tomorrow. So those are the words of Steve Kirk. Now, I have to stop right there. I, I really have to stop and assess that. I mean, he took him out with two minutes to go and said the injury didn't force him out. We're down by 14 points. Come on, man. Even I have better sense than that. You take a player out who just suffered an injury because you want to protect him. Don't give me this. We're down by 14 points. We weren't going to come back. I've seen some strange things happen in my years of watching basketball, football, baseball. When you didn't think there was enough time left, somehow they pulled it out. Don't give me that. We weren't going to come back. Just go ahead and say what the obvious is. You took them out because you didn't want to risk further injury. Plain and simple. Come on, Steve. Now, I know, Steve, you like to roll them up every now and then. From that comment, sound like you rolled one up and smoked it because even Boo Boo the Clown or whatever you want to call him could figure out, yeah, the man's hurt. Yeah, they're down 14, but my risk for the Matter of fact, you should have took him out as soon as the injury happened. Saying there was no way we would come back? You don't know that. I mean, well. I guess some things are obvious. I mean, it is an obvious situation. Boston is playing at home, on their home court and they're playing at a high level. So, yeah, they're and they're putting the clamps on defense because Marcus Smart is willing to go ahead and fight through a screen and risk getting a foul as opposed to letting the player have an easy shot. So, I mean, there, there might be some validity to that. We weren't going to come back. But the bottom line is you took Steph out to protect him from risking further injury. Although Kerr hedged, Curry was much more confident saying he doesn't expect to miss game four. As tweeted by Anthony Slater, Steph Curry said, I will be, I'll be all right. Got caught underneath. Al said he's in pain. Same foot sprain that he suffered against Boston earlier this season, but not as bad. Said he doesn't believe he will miss game four. That tweet comes out from at Anthony V. Slater. The fact that Curry wasn't taken out of the game due to his injury has to be encouraging for the Warriors, especially given how well the two-time MVP played in Game 3. Curry led both teams with 31 points in 37 minutes, including 15 in the third quarter while in foul trouble. He made 11 three-point attempts. He made six of 11 three-point attempts and shot 12 of 22 from the field. Without a fully healthy Curry, the Warriors could have a difficult time evening the series up in game four on Friday. Hall of Fame Hall of Famer, 
Tracy McGrady explains what a fourth title would mean for Steph Curry's legacy. Steph Curry's legacy is secure in the eyes of most NBA observers, but Tracy McGrady thinks another title will really cement it. McGrady believes that a fourth title would be significant for Curry's legacy because of how it would be won. The former NBA All-Star feels that Curry's first title with Golden State Warriors was cheapened by the fact that Cleveland Cavaliers guard Kyrie Irving missed virtually all of the NBA Finals in 2015. In 2017 and 2018, McGrady believes Curry was not the best player on the team, with that honor going to Kevin Durant. A title in 2022 would be significant to would be significant to McGrady because it would come with Curry as the centerpiece of the team and against a Celtic squad that is largely at full strength. Here's what he had to say. That's a tough question, McGrady said, of where Curry would rank all-time via Chase Hughes of NBC Sports Washington. Because he has his career individually, and with that and with what he's accomplished with his team, it's tough. Because you've got to think, he won a championship right against LeBron James that didn't have Kyrie Irving, that didn't have Kevin Love. He didn't win the finals MVP, right? Then he loses a 3-1 lead to LeBron, gets KD, comes and wins two championships. So that gives Steph three championships, but KD wins the two MVPs, right? McGrady's assertion about Durant might not necessarily be backed by others. Plus, as McGrady later noted himself, Curry's dominance from three-point range was already enough for him to leave his mark on the NBA. When history looks back on the Warriors' decade of success, Curry will likely be the one portrayed as being at the center of it. He's probably content with that legacy. So, do you think there's some validity to what Tracy McGrady had to say in regards to the legacy of one Steph Curry? Yes, Steph Curry was definitely a game changer. Steph Curry is the reason. I believe more and more teams, when you look at the stats, you see more shots outside the arc than you do in the paint. From college to pro, even to high school. That in itself is enough to cement Steph Curry's legacy. Well, coming up on another break. It is the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. I'll have some more for you on the other side of this break. So enjoy the ride. Keep your seatbelt on until the ride comes to an end. We're still building up some steam. It's your host, conductor, Anthony Smith. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Be right back.
You're listening to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Welcome back to my final segment of the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. I hope you have enjoyed the ride thus far. I believe it's been quite a journey. Took a few curves here and there. A few peaks and valleys. But I hope you have enjoyed the content of this episode of this podcast I also want to say while I'm thinking about it I am fastly approaching my 200th episode and it appears that I've taken longer to get to my 200th episode than I did for my 100th episode thus far I've gotten commitments from two people that will join me on my 200th episode some guys I really look up to. One was a voice you hear every morning from six o'clock to nine on a radio show here in town. It was called the game plan by the name of Scott styles. I'm pretty sure he would like some of the content in this particular episode because this is right up his alley. I do believe. And he would be passionate talking about it from the, Brittany Griner situation that's going on to the situation that Shannon Sharp addressed with LeBron James and his son. Scott Styles is a very well-respected man and has his convictions and he stands on his convictions and he believes in what he stands for. You appreciate people like that. We need more voices on the radio like his. The other commitment I got is from the voice of the Shockers. A man I have basically grew up listening to, called, have met him personally. He has appeared on my podcast before. None other than the voice of the Shockers, the legendary Mike Kennedy. I will say one of the best play-by-play announcers in the country. So I got those two commitments. Like I say, I'm fast. I'm slowly approaching my 200th episode and I'm looking forward to at least those two guests. And I will be reaching out to some more within the days to come. But I just want to say, I'm very grateful to have such people that have been on my podcast, such as a Mike Kennedy, Scott, this will be his first time. But sometimes, as they say, good things come to those who wait. And this will be well worth the wait. But I'm getting into my final segment here. And it's been a while since we mentioned anything about Deion Sanders. But Deion is having quite the effect on not just Jackson State, but on HBCU football as a whole. So how Deion Sanders is fueling the rise of HBCU football. 
It hasn't even been two years since the Hall of Fame cornerback uprooted his life to revive a more a moribund small school program. But after a record-setting first full season at Jackson State, followed by the unprecedented arrival of a five-star recruit and a public quarrel with Nick Saban, he's ushering in a new era for JSU football and for all HBCU programs. A rolled-up piece of paper the size of a marble sits on the floor, and Deion Sanders just can't stop staring at it. Five seconds. Ten seconds. Sanders has stopped answering questions. He's at a local eatery at the trendy Deep Elam section of Dallas, and he's ignoring his grilled chicken sandwich and fries. He leans forward, oddly captivated by a singular piece of paper, a piece of trash, nine feet away. 15 seconds, 20 seconds. I'm looking at a white piece of paper on the floor, and I'm wondering, how did that get there? The carpet is black, so you can see it plain as day, Sanders says. It's misplaced. It shouldn't be there. For Sanders, it's instinct to look at a situation, see what it needs, and try to fix it instead of turning away, says Sanders. I can't do that. These days, this is the situation Sanders is addressing, transforming Jackson State's football program into a powerhouse and making historically black college and university HBCU football relevant again. He arrived on campus in September of 2020 with a plan to return Jackson State's moribund program to his glory days of the 1970s, 80s, and 90s, when the Tigers were synonymous with winning and regularly produced NFL players. It's the alma mater of Walter Payton, among four pro football Hall of Famers, from the school. How far had the program fallen? In the eight seasons before Sanders took over, JSU had employed four head football coaches and four athletic directors. In 2018, Ashley Robinson arrived promising change. The new AD had grown up in Jackson, Mississippi, but his hometown school hadn't offered him a scholarship, so he played point guard at Mississippi Valley State instead. Still, he understood the football team's importance in the community, and he knew a strong program would lift up Mississippi's capital city. And he had ideas about what it would take. When Robinson heard Sanders on an NFL Network broadcast in 2019 mention his desire to coach, he moved in. In August 2020, Robinson fired John Hendrick after just one full season as coach and pursued his man. The result, there's been no hire who made a bigger impact on the program than Coach Prime, Robinson said. Last year, in his first full season, Sanders led the Tigers to a school record, 11 wins, in their first Southwestern Athletic Conference championship since 2007. He did it while missing time after complications following foot surgery led to the amputation of two toes. He earned FCS Coach of the Year honors, and this perhaps the most convincing piece of evidence that big things are coming to JSU. Three days before the season wrapped, he flipped five-star recruit Travis Hunter from Swanee, Georgia, who had originally committed to play cornerback at Sanders' alma mater, Florida State. Folks are screaming, I believe, now, but they didn't before, says Sanders says.
It's easy to scream now, but I meant that on day one. There's nothing Sanders enjoys more than an evening of fishing at Lake Prime, as he calls it, filled with bass, bluegill, and crappy. The lake sits 40 yards from the front door of Sanders' Tuscan Villa home in a sleepy little town located 60 miles east of Dallas. That home and the lake are part of a sprawling estate, perhaps more recognizable by the massive 10-foot-high black rod iron gates with 21 emblazoned in red. Above them, the archway reads, also in red, Country Prime. The main house itself took about 16 months to build. Sanders had been living in it for about eight. Only a few paintings and pictures had been hung yet when Robinson called to gauge his interest late in the summer of 2020. Sanders didn't yet have a college coaching resume. He'd been the offensive coordinator at Trinity Christian High in suburban Dallas, where his son Shadur and Shiloh helped win three Class 2A state championships, and he'd coached for more than a decade with his own youth organization, Truth in Dallas, which he molded after the outfit he played for as a kid, the Fort Myers Rebels. But now the colleges were sniffing around. Before Robinson Ring, Florida State and Arkansas had already gauged Sanders' interests. The first phone call Sanders received, the first phone call between Sanders and Robinson lasted so long, the AD says his phone almost died. The good, they had similar visions about the program's potential. The bad, Sanders wasn't sure he wanted to complicate his life like this. He just signed a lucrative contract to do a podcast with Barstool Sports. And with his kids approaching graduation, he was about to become an empty nester. But Robinson was relentless. If ever it was going to happen, it was now. In the aftermath of George Floyd's murder, with the Black Lives Matter movement in full force and the profile of HBCU soaring, Additional downtime due to the pandemic provided time to think and cleric. Most people move because of discomfort. You're forced into transition, says Sanders. I was comfortable. It wasn't an easy process. It was a godly process. I had just gotten comfortable in my new home, and now it was time to leave for the unknown. After a week and a half, of daily conversation, Sanders finally told Robinson to call his agent and make a deal. Ultimately, school president Thomas K. Huston signed off on a four-year $1.2 million contract that included incentives for attendance and championships. Sanders know how a championship organization looks and operates. He played on two Super Bowl winners and in the 1992 World Series, still the only athlete to have played in both championships. At Jackson State, changes were needed. In a pandemic-shortened 2020 season, which was played in the spring of 21, Jackson State started 3-0 and then fell apart, finishing 4-3. The facilities were far from championship standards. The practice field, for instance, constantly flooded when it rained, forcing the Tigers to travel to a local high school on days the skies opened up. Constant Schwartz Marini, Sanders' longtime business partner recalls a Zoom talk that first Christmas in Jackson, Sanders connected with 
Doug McMillan, the CEO of Walmart. He said, we need money to build a turf field, says Schwartz Marini. He was Santa Claus. He partnered with the coach and got JSU a practice field. Sanders' connection continued to pay off. He wanted a dining hall so players could bond over grilled chicken breast and French-cut green beans. Magic Johnson, through Sodexo Magic, the food and facilities management provider he owns, got a deal done. Sanders wanted a different look for the players themselves. Michael Strahan provided them with suits from his clothing line. During Sanders' playing days, his image was built on the swag of his celebratory end zone dances. As a coach, he is strictly old school. 15 minutes early to a meeting is Jackson State's new on time. Earrings are prohibited in the Tigers' facility, and everybody must wear the same colored socks in practice and games. Players, coaches, and support staff wear suits to games and team functions. Any violation can get you kicked out of a team meeting or practice. Old school ain't earrings on the football field, Sanders said. The guys I loved and adored weren't like that. My contemporaries were Magic and MJ and those kind of cats. No tats, no facial hairs. It was a different era, a different generation. If it worked for them, it can work for us. Sanders' voice carries on the practice field. Increasingly hoarse and verbal corrections come with the force of a summer squall. Though the most profane words he ever utters are darn and bull jump. Like a good teacher, he misses nothing. He corrects players on everything from body language and team meetings to post-game attire. Details matter. The small things really make your program go, says Robinson. Seeing him setting the vision for the program and helping everyone understand what we're doing and believing in the vision he had was so important. Immediate results fed the belief. The Tigers came back in the fall and went unbeaten in the SWAC their only regular season loss coming at Louisiana Monroe, an FBS program. Sanders, however, missed three games after going in for surgery to repair a dislocated toe on his left foot last September. He developed blood clots and spent nearly a month in the hospital, primarily in the ICU. His big toe and the one next to it had to be amputated, and he lost nearly 40 pounds. He coached three games, including the SWAC championship from a motorized scooter. Sunday, though, Sunday through Friday, he was so sick, he didn't talk to nobody, says equipment manager Cedric Berkeley. But on Saturdays, he'd be wide awake for game day. As soon as it ended, he'd be out of it again. That season ended in disappointment, an upset loss to South Carolina State in the Cricket Celebration Bowl. But the foundation was laid. Quarterback Shadur Sanders, Dion's son, earned FCS Freshman of the Year honors passing for 3,231 yards with 30 touchdowns. Shador, a four-star recruit, had helped his father land the best FCS recruiting class when he flipped his commitment from Florida Atlantic to JSU. He was, at the time, the highest-rated recruit to sign with an HBCU. Then, Sanders put together his 2022 class. Now, Hunter holds that honor. Shador Sanders signed with Jackson State because he wanted to play for the only coach he'd ever had. And Travis Hunter, he wanted to play for the only player he ever idolized. Those two are clear about their motives. 
They want to return Jackson State to prominence, and they want the school to be a catalyst to their NFL dreams. They've been teammates only a few months, but already they forged a tight bond. We understand each other. We both had similar situations, says Shadur. We came to Jackson State for the same reason, to make change. The returning quarterback, Shadur, and arriving cornerback, Hunter, compete in everything. Before one practice this spring, Shadur couldn't help himself. He said, I never had a pick on him, Hunter says with a smirk. I was like, just wait. It's going to happen. During one team drill that day, Hunter had received Shane Hook's route and accelerated toward the ball. Thrown low and outside at the pylon, he made a diving one-handed interception. About those flip recruits, for Shadur, all it took was one hour chat between father and son a few weeks after Dion took the JSU job. He was out at FAU. He understood the scrutiny and expectations that would accompany him, but being primetime son is the only life he's ever known. He's been my dad my whole life. There's not much difference between my dad and coach. He's definitely going to yell a lot. Dion's older son, Shiloh, is a redshirt sophomore defensive back for the Tigers. With Hunter, it was more complicated. From the start, Sanders had refused to settle for traditional FCS recruits. He targeted elite players. Ultimately, the coach earned the trust of Hunter's parents, telling them he could prepare their son better than anyone else for the NFL, but also that he could teach him how to make a brand for himself and how to succeed in life after his playing career ends. Hunter had always dreamed of playing for Florida State. He visited Jackson State over homecoming only because he'd never met Sanders in person. I wasn't passing up that opportunity, he says. Once there, the more Hunter talked to Sanders about fishing in life, I don't even think we talked about football, he says, the more he realized he wanted to play for the Hall of Famer. And there is actually more to that story, but due to time constraints, I'm going to go ahead and bring the train into the station. But I hope you have enjoyed this podcast as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. As you hear the music fading in, that can only mean it's time to bring this train back into the station. Once again, I hope you have enjoyed the ride. As we took some peaks, we took some valleys, we took some turns here, we took some turns there. But at the end of the day, I enjoy what I do, and I hope you enjoy listening to what I present to you. Until the next time, you take care of yourself and each other. Always remember to keep your tickets because they are reusable, and you can get on this train anytime. But until the next time, be blessed. <laughs>